Amen. I wanted to deal on something that, um, you know, is distinctive probably to my territory, but I actually felt also it was uh, necessary also to preach here. You know, the inspiration that you get for the Holy Ghost, how many know he can parse it in one territory that's necessary, but then parse it a little bit different into another territory that has its own cultural uh, distinctives. Come on, are you here? And so for those of you who are minister and preach, you understand what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the subject of worship the subject of worship, and the vital importance of it, particularly within our culture today. So if you'd open up your Bibles or your digital devices to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 21 to verse 24, and when you're there, please, I want to hear some feedback so that I know you're not falling asleep on me and that you actually like me. (laughs) I hear some rice paper, that's good, love it. And when you're there, say amen. Amen. Mm, That's good feedback. It means you're a people of the word. Hallelujah. It says this, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship, notice this, the father, watch this, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Obviously, we know this woman tries to bring up this theological issue about location. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to turn upside down her theological idea of what worship is all about. He's going to turn upside down her paradigm of how she's worshipped. You see, in the Old Testament, worship is about locations, particularly physical locations. Whether it was a tabernacle or a temple that was built with man's hands, or whether it was going to a mountain. It was about physical locations. And so Jesus is going to turn upside down this idea that it's not about a physical location, but it is about a place of contemplation. So it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. So you have to understand that with the cross, all doctrine must be vetted and brought through the cross. There are some things that change, some things that don't change, and then some things that are modified. Worship is an example of one of those things, that when you bring it through the cross, it's modified insofar that it's not about locations, physical destinations, but it is about a place in the spirit, as we're going to see him. You see, oftentimes what happens in the church today, we make it about locations. We make it about structures. We oftentimes, and maybe you've said it, I'm certainly guilty of this, so I'm not flogging you or stoning you for saying this. Sometimes we'll say, let's go to church. And in our minds, or at least in culture and society, we're thinking of a building that has stained glass windows and a steeple on top. Come on, are you here? So we make it about a location when we have to understand that the church isn't about a physical location. It's not about a steeple. It's not about a cross or an emblem in the physical. It's about a people. So if we were to gather us right here and take us next door, the church would not be this building. The church would be where the people of God are at. So it's never about a location. It's about a place or a destination in the spirit. So we see here Jesus about to turn upside down. This concept says you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Then uh, he goes on to say, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now notice this. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
Watch this. Are you ready for this? When true worshipers, say true worshipers. May I submit to you that if Jesus declares that there are true worshipers, there must be fake worshipers or fraudulent worshipers. And when we're dealing with fake or fraudulent, in other words, it gives the image of worship, but it's not true. It's fakery. It's fraudulent. In other words, it's not real. It has an image of the reality, but it does not contain the substance therein. So we see here that Jesus is the one. Notice also, take note here, that he doesn't just say worshipers. He specifically uses this adjective to describe a worshiper. He says true worshipers. So in other words, Jesus is again about to unpack this idea that there is actually true worship. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus begins to define what a true worshiper is, I want to be found congruent with what the scripture says of what a true worshiper is. I don't want to be a fake worshiper. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a fake worshiper or a fraudulent worshiper. And oftentimes in the church, we come with our own personal prejudices, our own ideas of the way worship would be. And oftentimes it becomes our personal prejudices that become boundary to us coming into that location of the spirit. This is why within strong cultural Christianity, uh, uh, sometimes it's obstructive to true kingdom Christianity. Because it becomes about cultural things and not about meeting in the spirit. Can I use you a couple of examples? You know, one of the things is a, is a missionary, primarily, that's first before I started pastoring, I was a missionary. You know, sometimes it can be very difficult in third world nations, down by the equator, where it's hot and humid. You think it's hot here? Have you ever been down by the equator in some places in the Philippines or in Malaysia or in Singapore when it's hot and humid? You know, you're meeting in certain places and they don't have air con. They don't have nice, cushy uh, seats that we have. Thank God that we've moved and we've evolved from wooden pews. Hallelujah. And your rump says amen. Right? It, it's true. I mean, I, was, I joke with our church and I say, did you know that there's actually seat ratings for the chairs that we sit in for church pews, or for church chairs? They're two-hour rated. They're an hour and a you know. Wooden, it was like two seconds. You sit down and all of a sudden you got a bruise, especially a skinny guy like me. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to move around to find the comfort spot. And all these things are wonderful and I'm not against these things, but let me submit this to you, that all the amenities within our first world nation can often, that is to be an assistance to help us to get into the spirit, can become a crutch to where it becomes a prohibition by which we don't get into that place. Because if these things are not met, what happens is we cop our little attitude. Well, I don't like this song. And we make about genres. Come on, are you here? How many like rock and roll in here? Okay, we got some that are honest enough. The other ones are like, well, we're in church. I can't say that. How many like country western? I think maybe more, maybe about the same. How about blues? Anybody like a lot of blues? Wow, you see that? Lots of blues. How about jazz? We got jazz here. All right. How about hip hop? Hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. How about opera? I just, a few hands. And, <laughs> so we must not be in, you know, not opera town, right? Okay. There are various different genres. And how many know that there are a mu there's musical styles and tastes that we like? And sometimes what happens is if our certain personal preferences aren't met, what happened is we begin to close ourselves to meeting in that place. And that shouldn't be so. 
How many know, for example, I've been, to India, I've been to India, I've been to different nations, and they don't always play the nice American riffs that we play here in America. But if I sit there and go, well, this isn't American, and this isn't rock and roll, or if this isn't that 2-4 beat, or whatever it is, what, if our personal preferences in the styles are not met, then we actually end up don't going into that place. Come on, are you here? You should be able to go amongst the Indians and they got that sitar thing or whatever. And, rah, 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 and you should be able, even if it's not the preference of your liking, do you have the capacity with your communion with God to connect with the Spirit of God? Regardless of your personal styles and preferences being met. But what do we have? We have such immaturity in the West and the first world nations that people become so dependent that if their personal preferences aren't met, we sit there and we cop our attitude which proves that worship was never about you worshiping God, it was about yourself. Mm, I hit on something, and some of you know it. That's why you're like, oh, yeah, oh, come on, Pastor. It's true. This is why I encourage my house, you need to come on missions with me. How many know when Jesus went up into the mountain to go pray or begin to worship the Father, how many know he didn't have earbuds? He didn't have an iPod. I myself, even in our hotel, I was here with, you know, and I brought my little speaker and I was sitting there playing Jesus culture in the background. Jesus didn't have an iPhone by which he had a speaker and he could sit there and in the presence of God and worship. What happens if I sit there and I take those things off? Oh, oh, God just left. Do you have the spiritual capacity without all these personal amenities to connect with God? No matter what your environment are you so spiritually weak that you're dependent upon an artificial environment and culture? Do you have the capacity, because of your communion and your love of God, that it doesn't matter what's going around? It doesn't matter what the temperature is. It doesn't matter what kind of seat you're sitting in. It doesn't matter whether you're listening to the style of music that really gets you going. Do you have the capacity to get yourself going because you love God? That's what worship is about. And oftentimes, again, in the West... We make worship about ourselves rather than worship of God. Come on, are you here? It says this. Yet a time is coming, it has now come when true worshipers, watch this, will worship the Father and notice the preposition in the Spirit. So true worship is mandated that it must be in that place, in the Spirit. That is also to say that if it's not in the spirit, it's not true worship. Because true worshipers meet in the place of being in the spirit. So it, again, it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's called a Christian thing. Come on, are you here? Well, I don't know about that spirit stuff. Come on, are you here? Well, I don't know about that. I just believe in Jesus. Well, if you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send you the Holy Spirit. And I have a lot more things to say to you. So if you're Jesus-centered and you love Jesus, then you'll listen to the Holy Spirit who takes from Jesus and reveals it to you. There's no hostility. One of the things I've been driving, maybe that's not distinctive to our territory, but in my territory, we got a lot of Christ-centered people, but I don't know about that Holy Spirit. Stuff. Well, it may be confusing to you, but it's not confusing in the Godhead. There's unity there, just not with you. Come on, are you here? We sit there and think there's a division. No, there's just a division in your theological ideas about it because you're full of hostility. 
because you don't like certain things that God does when he likes to show up. You just like dead, dumb churches that do nothing. It's just a cultural Christianity by which God's doing nothing, and you like it that way. Come on, are you here? Is this too much? Maybe, I, 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 maybe I'll save this for a Sunday evening or something like that, okay? Not the Sunday morning crowd. I'll get my three points out. Okay, hallelujah. No, I'm just teasing. Watch this. Yet a time is coming, and now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father. No, it's in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus is truth. His word is truth. So there's no contradiction. So it's not just in the word, but it's in the Spirit. So we as Christians should have domination in the world of the Spirit. The Spirit world. And the problem is, is within Christianity, we go, well, that's for the warlocks and the witch doctors and all this stuff. No, it's not. We are to have domination in that place. And it shouldn't be something like it's weird. That's where Christians are to live. And it's not spooky and it's not weird. It's called normal Christian living. And if you don't live that way, you're not normal Christian. Come on, are you here? I mean, oftentimes... There's this idea that, oh, that's strange. No, it's not. It's strange not to move in the power of God. It's weird not to move in the Spirit. If you're called a Christian, all you have to do is read the book to find out that if you don't do what we see the early church, you're the strange one. I don't know about that. The church I came from, well, maybe the church you came from wasn't the right church and it was weird. Oh, I never thought about that. Just read the Bible and look up and just see. Come on, are you here? Where true worshipers will worship. Now watch this. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Watch this. For they are the kind. Are you ready for this? The kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So now we have unpacked that the Father is actually looking in the earth for a certain type of people. He loves all people, but he's only seeking certain types of people. We know according to one scripture, right, he's, he's, his, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in the earth, seeking who, you know, seeking who he is himself strong in, right? So he's looking. He's looking for people of faith, but he's also looking for worshipers. So if his eyes are looking, I want to be found by his seeking. And it's possible. But again, we got to know what worship is all about. It says this, for the kind of worshiper the Father seek. Now watch this. You ready for this? God is spirit. God is spirit. And his worshipers, his worshipers, must. Say must. Notice that is a word of obligation. Must. In other words, you don't vote on that. I don't know if I like being in the spirit with him. I don't know, it sounds a little bit weird to me. You see, the problem is, is in our Western democracy, we want to vote on everything because this is the way our system of governance is. But in the Bible, it's a theocracy. It's a kingdom, not a democracy. So this is why we don't vote on whether, I don't know if I like that type of a worship. That's the problem. Again, it's about you and about your personal rights rather than about him and you laying down your life to worship him. Come on, are you? God is spirit and his worshipers must worship, must worship where? In the spirit. So if you're not worshiping in the spirit and in truth, you're a fake worshiper. 
you're a fraudulent worshiper. Come on, are you here? Now, I want to show you something because we want to go to the Old Testament. And how many know in the Old Testament there are shadows, but the, in the New Testament there are realities? Okay? There are certain things that are hidden that are, we can look at and they'll bring revelation to us. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. Turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 7, and we're going to look at worship. How many have heard that song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, whoa, let my people go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you started singing right along, so I'm assuming, right? How many remember that song? Lift up your hand. Now, so some of you don't. Okay, well, let me educate you. There's a song, right? I mean, you can even go right online. You can go to YouTube, and you can sing along karaoke with it. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, whoa, let my people go. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, whoa, let my people go. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll stop right there. She, she's doing good. I was going to let her take the lead on that one, man. You don't want me to sing any more than that. And the interesting thing is, and I actually Googled it and YouTubed it to find out, you want to sing karaoke, this is what it, it, it will do. It was like, let my people go, exclamation point. Let my people go, exclamation point. But I got some sad news for you. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, it's only half true. Because when you go to the scripture, and I'm going to show you in six places, you can write this down, write this down. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. We're not going to go to all of them for the sake of time. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. I'll go through it again. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. They're all in Exodus, six of them. Exodus 8, verse 1. Exodus 8, verse 20. Exodus 9, verse 1. Exodus 9, verse 13, and Exodus 10, verse 13. So one in Exodus 7, two in Exodus 8, two in Exodus 9, and one in Exodus 10. Listen very carefully. You ready for this? There's actually a comma there. There's a comma there. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16 says, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go. Not an exclamation point. Comma so that they may worship me in the wilderness. You see, your liberty is not God's end result. It's a segue to an end result is that you become a worshiper of him. The problem in the West is we exalt our own liberty as an idol and think that's the end result that God has for us. And when liberty, listen very carefully, becomes an idol, it turns into our personal lawlessness. Liberty, without the end result of it coming into worshiping God, ends up becoming our personal lawlessness. This is why we have so much lawlessness in our nation right now. Because we exalt our own personal liberty, and it's about us. And that's why in worship services... It becomes about our own personal freedoms and expressions. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying, because when I say this, well, he's against it. No, 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 no. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
What I'm saying, it's not simply about just our own personal liberty. He has liberated us so that we can go and worship him. Did you hear what I said? There's a purpose for your freedom. Not just so that you can live for yourself. It's freedom with a purpose. In other words, it's a means to an end. It's not the end. Freedom is a means for you to worship him. He's the creator. You're the creation. And if you only cut it in half and receive this first without understanding the end result is God intends you to be worshiping in that place, then what happens is you end up getting dysfunctioned. Now watch this. Are you ready? When you go, you see, we worship. Let me say this. We worship in the wilderness at the mountain and not in Egypt. God never commanded them to worship in Egypt. He was to set them free from Egypt. So the first principle is that God set you free. Okay, And even sometimes in the service we see that. How many know that once God set them free, what happened? When they crossed over the Red Sea, they grabbed a tambourine, uh, Miriam, and they all dance and, you know, the horse and the rider, you know, they sing that Pentecostal song, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. You remember that song? Right? We still sing that song as if God did that for us. Come on, but he didn't. That happened 4,000 years ago or so. We need, to be, we need to be singing songs of praise of what God's doing in our generation. Come on, are you here? It's usually an indicator of where a church is at when they're singing victory songs from 150 years ago. Some of you got it. It's usually a spiritual indicator of where a church is at when they're singing victory songs from a generation three years, uh, three generations ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. In fact, what are the songs and the hymns that are sung in the church is usually an indication where God stopped with that generation. The question is, is, how come there isn't new songs coming in a new generation? If God's doing something, what is praise? Praise is simply giving thanksgiving for what God's doing. But if God isn't doing anything, that makes sense that you don't praise him. Or you sing songs of praise that another generation was singing. But it's not a revelation to you. Come on, are you here? It becomes very sad when we begin to blur the lines of victory that were parroting a previous generation, but it's not real and comes from us. So therefore, we don't become a voice. We become an echo. Mm, I felt the anointing on that. Come on, are you here? We have to be careful and be mindful. Again, with praise, we're praising and we're thanking him for what he's done. Do you ever notice in the praise, generally you go praise and then you go into worship, right? What happened? They came out across the Red Seas and they began to think. But what was a segue to is a segue that they may go worship at the mountain. Where? At the mountain. So it wasn't just in the wilderness as a specific location. Why? Because that's where God's fire was at. So it wasn't just about their freedom. 
is about getting them to a mountain. Why? Let me give you a principle. Because what you worship, you will image in this life. Write that down. What you worship will be imaged in your life. Let me take for example. If you worship money, okay, some people think only one side. Oh, you know, the greedy businessman. No, actually you can be poor and also be a lover of money. It's true, both sides. It's just one side or the other. Come on, are you here? That's why in the ghettos, a guy will sit there and pull out a gun and shoot a guy at a 7-Eleven for a lousy and kill a man for a lousy 20 bucks in the till and devalue a human life. And then justify it saying, well, I'm poor. It's because he's a lover of money. You see, you don't have to be rich to be a lover of money. You can be poor and be a lover of money. What are you doing? You're imaging it. Come on, are you here? Are you ready for the next one? I mean, that's why the Bible says thou shalt not covet. It doesn't say thou shalt not be greedy. So thou shalt not covet. You know what's interesting about this too? When God said thou shalt not covet, do you know what he put on there? Do not covet. And then he goes on to list what a rich man would have. They're men's servants and maid servants. Only rich had that back in this time. Herds, cattle. Only rich man, because you don't covet what a poor man has. You covet what a rich man has. That's why thou shalt not covet is called the poor man's sin. Are you guys, it's awfully quiet in here. You guys, are you okay with this? You still love me? All right, all right. And I'm not taking up an offering, okay? So please. I just felt that go by the room. He's getting ready to take up an offering. No, 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 I'm, I'm not authorized to do that. Come on, are you here? What, what's my point in that? It's not about whether you have money or not. It's about the imaging of the love of something called mammon. You'll image it. So God says, I set you free from bondage, okay? In fact, the only thing that is offered up to God in Egypt isn't worship because you actually don't have the capacity to worship him on his terms, which is in the spirit or at the mountain. Listen very carefully. The only thing you're qualified to do is cry out to him in your groanings. That's what it says in Exodus chapter two. It says that, they groaned and cried because of their bondage. God heard their cry and sent Moses. So listen, you don't even have the capacity to, we only have the capacity to groan in our bondage by which God hears, and then he sets us free. And the purpose of him setting us free is to bring us to the place of worship. Why? Because as we worship him, we image who he is. You see, in the Egypt you saw Egyptian worship. You began to see the ways of Egypt. And so God wants to do a transformation in your life. He brings you out of Egypt, but he's got to get Egypt out of you. Why? Because in Egypt, that's what you worship, and therefore you image Egyptian culture and Egyptian ways. So God says, I want to bring you to the mountain so that you can begin a transformation process by which you image me, so that once I'm fully done purging you of Egyptian ways, I can bring you into the promised land, because you can't go into the promised land with the image of Egypt in your life. That's why every Christian goes through the sanctification process is what Egypt, excuse me, uh, the wilderness, bringing you into a wilderness. And that's what God is saying all the time. You can trust me. I'm your all in all. You need water? I'll get you water. I'll bring it from a rock. You need food? Manna will be there. 
You need uh, quail? I'll, I'll give it to you. Whatever you need, it's not going to come on that system. It's going to come in a new system. Come on, are you here? We worship in the wilderness, at the mountain, not in Egypt. Israel's first communication with God isn't worship, but groanings in Egypt. Let me read this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Israel doesn't have the capacity to worship in Egypt due to their bondage. The praise service is coming out of Egypt, the house of bondage. Worship begins in the wilderness at the mountain and is consummated in the promised land. So let my people go again so that they may what? Worship me in the wilderness. We worship in the wilderness at the mountain. That is the place where we are to meet him. In Exodus chapter 10. Do you think the enemy wants you worshiping? You think so? Let me show you something. Exodus chapter 10, verse 8. See, the place of the mountain is the place of your victory. Being in the spirit, going up into it. This is why Moses went up into the mountain and the people said, oh, no, no, that's a terrifying sight. You go, Moses, and you go find out for us. They'd rather be spectators. And oftentimes in the church, that's the way it is. People just want to be spectators on the outside and say to the praise and you go up and you connect with God for us. And are content with being spectators, but God wants us to be worshipers of him. It says then in verse 10, verse 8 through 11, chapter 10, verse 8 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh, the Lord be with you. Isn't it interesting how Pharaoh all of a sudden becomes very spiritual? The Lord be with you, like he cares. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Listen very carefully. The enemy, if he has to concede, he'll concede your freedom, but he doesn't want to concede you worshiping him. Why? Because the end result of you not worshiping, it, uh, worshiping the Lord will end up just being about your personal liberties. Wow, come on. And he'll sit there and say, well, okay, if you're not going to image the Lord at the place of worship at the mountain or in the spirit, here's what I'll do. I'll throw a monkey wrench and I'll get you all tied up and it will become about you and self and, and you'll end up in lawlessness. So he doesn't mind you getting free. Get free. And then we'll make it about you or we'll make it about me. We see it's to be a segue to going up to the mountain to worship. Again, why? What's the principle? What you worship, you will image in life. That's not the only time the enemy or Pharaoh the enemy doesn't want you coming to the place of worship. He doesn't mind you going free, but he doesn't want you going free to worship. 
when you go down to verse 24 to verse 26, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. So we see here the enemy trying to negotiate terms that aren't favorable. And thank God for Moses, who has a strength of leadership to not just consent and say, okay, freedom's good. Okay, we'll take that. No, Moses understands that just as he had a burning bush experience, he wants the congregation also to have the same encounter that he had. And he knew that there had to be an encounter. In order to bring the transformation, there has to be an encounter with God. Seeing the acts of God it does not suffice. In the church, you seeing the power of God is not good enough. It has to segue into you personally having an encounter with God yourself. We've said it in church many a times. You can't just rest on your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or a previous generation's faith. You have to have an encounter yourself. When you stand before heaven, it's not going to be with your daddy or your mommy or your grandparents holding your hand. You will stand before him alone and give an account for your life, not their life. Come on, are you here? But we love being victims. You see, in the Egypt, they were victims of bondage. And rightfully so. This is the reason why they can groan, but they can't worship God. Because when you try to worship, but you're still in bondage, you become a victim. And in a sense, you are victimized. But God came to get you out of victimization. He came to set you free. And once he sets you free, what happens is we need a renewing of the mind so that we don't think in terms of victimizations of the past. It's a new day today. You can't think the same way. You're not a victim anymore. You're the victor. You have, a, have to have a change of the way you see things. That's part of the transformation. And that only happens when you go to the place of worship. It's in that place that he shows you his nature. It's in that place he shows you about your calling. There are so many things that are unpacked for you at the place of worship, but you have to meet him on his terms, which is at the mountain or in the New Testament in the spirit. That's why somebody, Pastor, what's my call on my, I don't know what your call is. It's not my call. So if I sat there and told you what it is, it's my call to you, not his call. I may by the spirit pick up certain things, but at the end of the day, you got to hear from God, and it has to be, you know, I can confirm what God's already spoken. Don't come to me, what's my call? Go worship at the mountain, go in the spirit. The prophets of old, they were told, Jeremiah, before, you know, we spoke about these things. You know, the call of God was revealed to Jeremiah in the place of worship. Moses, same thing. He went to the burning bush. His call was unpacked to him. I got a call for you, son. There's these people in this place called Egypt. Remember that place? You got chased out of there? Yeah. I want you to go back there. No, I don't want to go back there. No, please, no. Call somebody else. You see, in the place of worship, that's where your insecurities are confronted, and God begins to deal with your insecurities. No, I can't, I'm, I'm, I can't talk. I'm not a public speaker. 
I'm too young, I'm too this, I'm too that. All of a sudden, God begins to, at that place of worship, begin to deal with your insecurities and your issues. You know, those things that you don't want the Lord to deal with in worship, but you'd just rather have a counseling meeting with your pastor? Pastor, I need to have another meeting for the fourth time this week. No, I think you need to go worship. Because at about this time, there's nothing more I can do. It's going to only take the fire of God to burn some stuff out of you. I can't counsel this out of you, but they can be burnt out of you. Mm -hmm. Are you getting something out of this? The place of worship. That's why we have to teach our people to worship. I've already threatened, but it's really not a threat. It's a good thing. I've threatened our church and said, one of these times we're just going to come here and we're going to just turn the lights on, but we're going to spotlight and we're going to turn off the AC and we're going to close the door and make it real hot in there. You know, we're going to turn off the electricity and we're all going to sing a cappella. And we're just going to watch it, see if you're like this or you're... We'll call it missionary preparation. We're going to see what your spiritual strength and your communion with God is. And are you actually going to get in the spirit even though all these amenities aren't here? I'm just going to look around and see, can you enter into the spirit? It's a decision that you make. I mean, do you really think you can go to third world nation and cast out devils? Uh, I need my iPod to be listening to Jesus culture to get me in the spirit. What if you don't have that? Come on, are you here? You're tougher than you think. You just don't know it. You've been duped with lies. Jesus didn't have all these amenities that we have. Come on, are you here? And we become so dependent upon all these things that they actually cripple us. They were meant to assist us to coming into the place. All these things are to assist us in this first world nation. They were to assist us, but not to cripple us. And unfortunately, the things that were to assist us, they're crippling our culture. This is why in our nation, we don't have missions going on like we've had in the past. I believe one statistic said that 90% of world missions came from the United States. You want to know why we're a wealthy nation? Right there. I believe it's 90% of all missions worldwide and the over, what is it, 200 nations that there are in the earth because of the United States. And we're becoming crippled by our own comfort. And I'm not just talking in the natural, I'm talking about in the church. It's created this mindset. This is why we're so lazy to go overseas and to go certain places. And well, I'm not going there. I mean, I'll go there for a vacation. I'm going to Cabo, by the way, next week. And so, <laughs> <laughs> it was paid for. Hallelujah. So, you know, I'll go. <laughs> if I must. Why are there so many miracles? You hear all the miracles that happen in third world nations, right? You'll hear testimonies, God did this and God did that. Do you think that's because God is preferential to third worlders than first worlders? Do you want to know why? Can I give you a little hint? It's because they're hungry and they don't need all these assistances. And because of their hungry and their strength to believe God for a miracle. We have so many social nets and securities that we have within our nation that we really don't need God. We don't. We got our, and listen, I have, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Sometimes I say something, I got, I'm, you'll hear me qualify because I don't want him to be inundated with, pastor said this, I can't believe that. 
you know, we got our 401ks, we got our social security, we got all these social nets to keep us. And I'm not saying, I got those things too. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But overseas, they don't have those social nets. God is their 401k. God is their social security. Sometimes even their next meal, they need God to show up in order to. So they don't need to have Jesus culture pumping into their iPod to get into the spirit to believe God. They're like, I need God right now. Raw, raw faith, not dependent upon all these beautiful amenities, but have crippled us spiritually. And what happens is we build a cathedral around this cultural idea. This idea, and we have a generation that is growing up weak, not knowing their identity. You know, the whole gender dysphoria in the natural that's manifesting, do you think that has spiritual significance to our nation? We don't know who we are in Christ anymore. Oh God, oh God, oh God. God said, oh you, oh you, oh you. Greater am I in you than he who is in the world. Wake up, who are you? You're stronger. You have more authority. I've given it to you. Exercise authority. Step up into it. You have it. It's like the first time, even with our ones that we bring with us. All of a sudden, they're, you know, go preach and minister. And all of a sudden, oh, my goodness. They're like the disciples of Jesus. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Even the devils are submitted. Oh, they were shocked. They were shocked at the authority that they have. You have more than you know, my good Fresno friends. You're industrious, you're tough, you're strong. You just come under, you need to, in the place of worship. Come on, are you here? Let's get ready to wrap it up. Is this okay? I'm not, you're, I don't see any eyes closing or falling asleep. Hallelujah. You image what you worship. In Exodus chapter 20, let me just read this. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then it goes on. I want you to notice that how many know the first four or five deal with your, the, what is called the vertical beam of the cross. This is your relationship between God and you. Right? This deals with it. Don't have any other gods, etc. When you see that. And the last one, the last five, six of them deal with your, the, horizontal cross, uh, the horizontal beam of the cross, which is what? Your relationship with mankind. Those are hinged, the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are sins against mankind. Notice that these first ones deal with worship. Because it's understood that what you worship, you will begin to image in your life. This is why the first thing, let my people go. Freedom and liberty. For what purpose? That they may go to a place to worship me. And it's at the mountain. At the mountain. 
the place of where the fire is. You see, everything we see, Pharaoh didn't want to let these things go. Everything is dedicated to the worship of God. Everything. Everybody in the church there in the Old Testament, all the livestock, everything that they had. Why? Worship isn't just about a song service. It's about your consecration to God, even outside Sundays and midweek services. You see, we say, let's go to the worship service. That's a location. Right? Let's go worship. And we make it simply, and we strip it down to simply me singing to the Lord in key. Have you ever taken into consideration that worship is actually the following day when you've had a bad day and the Lord asks you to do something while you're in the shower thinking and, and God asks you to do something and you're like, mm, no, I'm not going to, that person offended me. And rah, 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 rah. Guess what? You are just in a worship service. You see, we think it about a location, a place, Right? So what is worship? Listen very carefully. Everything is dedicated to the worship of God. Time, talent, and treasure. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Everything is dedicated to the Lord. That's why everything had to go out to that place because everything it was to be dedicated. Interestingly enough, God required those things because he was going to sacrifice them. That's why worship is something that you sacrifice Come on, something that's pleasing and acceptable before him. Yes. Like going to sacrifice like Abraham, his son, up on an altar. Oh, I don't know, this is the promise of God. This is why some of the promises that God gives you, he'll all of a sudden, he'll, he may require those things to see if that has indeed become a God within your life. Wait, God. Get thee behind me, devil. God promised me that boy. No, I want you to sacrifice him. See, we make it about our blessing at the location. He makes it about a sacrifice in the spirit. It's at that place of worship where there are requirements. Personal requirements. You see, what God requires of you may not be required of you. What God has required of me, he may not require of you, right? And if I sit there and I preach what God's required of me upon you, then all I do is legislate burdens upon you because the Holy Ghost never told you to do it. He told me to do it. And I have to be wise enough and smart enough to not sit there and put my personal convictions. Preach the word, convictions will come. If I preach my personal convictions, bondage will come. That's how we get wrapped up in legalism. I repeat that. If you preach the word, conviction will come to the people. If I preach my convictions, bondage will come. Legalism will come. And it won't be the life of the spirit. You'll actually have to get free from my convictions. <laughs> Let's have a prayer line. Why? Because the pastor bound up everybody through his personal convictions. true what do you need deliverance from the pastor last week the guest minister that was there from santa cruz 
He was saying, no one should drink or whatever. I, I, I should not even say that. All right, I take that back. Whatever that conviction is, right? Whatever that is. Pastor Anthony, yeah, that pastor, man. I need deliverance from what he said. <laughs> he was the problem. Come on, are you here? Here's the beautiful thing. And this would open up into a part two, so I'm saving part of it for tonight. But can I give you a teaser? When you get into worship into the promised land, Come on. one of the things he specifically says is make sure you go up to the high places and completely and utterly destroy the images of the Canaanites that are there and what they worship. Because if you don't, the, what you worship, you will image, and the land will vomit you out just as the land vomited them out. Yeah. 